Hello, and welcome to another podcast episode brought to you by Perfect Clean. My name is Gabrielle, and I will be your host for today's topic of discussion. Infection prevention is fundamental, building an effective hygiene program in schools. We are joined today by Lurley Morrow, Regional Sales Manager at Perfect Clean, Andrew Frattini, owner of the Goddard School, Skokie in Illinois, and Renee Sloan, Director of Facilities Operations at Fort Wayne Community Schools. Welcome, and thank you all for joining us. Welcome. All right, well, let's go ahead and start with a little introduction. We'll go into your time title, your name, any notable experience you have, uh, and just experiences you've had throughout your tenure. So let's go ahead and start with you, Andrew. Yes, uh, my name is Andrew. Um, I am uh, an owner of a, a preschool um, in Skokie, Illinois, and have been for going on about six years now, and um, happy to participate in the call. Awesome. And Lurley? I um, work with UMF Corporation, and I have a background in medical textiles, focusing on healthcare for uh, about the past 12 years. Happy to be here. Wow, incredible, 12 years. And Renee? Hi, um, I'm a director of facilities for Sodexo, or a contract service provider here at Fort Wayne Community Schools. So my title is a little bit conflicting. <laughs> here in the school district, I'm referred to as a, a general manager and report to a director of facilities. But my area of um, responsibility is for environmental services. Very cool. Well, thank you all for introducing yourselves. I know you will all have great insights when it comes to these topics. So, you know, regarding this, as we've all witnessed over the past few years, let's go ahead and, and get into the questions. You know, over the past few years, COVID-19 has had just an enormous impact on educational facilities. So did the pandemic end up changing your overall approach to cleaning and disinfection? So let's go ahead and start with Andrew. I think it did. I think it expanded it. Um, we're in the industry of early childhood. So think um, really infants through five-year-old children. So we really have uh, a pretty regulated industry, both by state agencies and also like local health uh, jurisdictions, uh, health, the health departments and so forth. So, you know, there are and have been regulations around um, hygiene, around cleaning, how you clean different things that you required to do. Um, but I think with this, it's, it's really has taken it to the next um, levels in terms of not looking at just maybe cleaning surfaces. We're also... Uh, looking at, you know, air quality and different things to to look at, you know, when we looked at how COVID spreads and understanding um, all of those um, reasons, we're looking at really hitting it all on, on, on all sides. So that's really kind of been our approach to to really have a kind of a layered defense to minimize the risk as best we can. Absolutely. And, you know, just cleaning and disinfection, we're way more in the spotlight yeah. than ever. For sure. And Renee, actually, would you be able to tell us what Fort Wayne's community schools approach was to cleaning and disinfection pre-pandemic? Well, pre-pandemic, we had kind of a broad-based outlook, except for, of course, our preschools, um, where it is more highly regulated to do things every day um, versus maybe once a week. But we also had to refocus on touch points. And we were in the process of kind of switching over from old school rags and, and um, items, paper towels sometimes, to microfiber. So the pandemic actually helped us in our quest to um, kind of get into the 21st century <laughs> and um, know, um, do practices that we wanted to. So we focused more on touch points than floors, which a lot of schools really, you know, if your floor is shiny, then your school is clean. 
Um, so we just looked at processes and products um, that could enhance um, the um, disinfecting versus cleaning. Absolutely. And, you know, to kind of get into the details of that processing protocols, was there any specific way that you implemented it into the processing protocols in terms of like color coding or different kind of file management? Yes, we here, we went to a two um, color coding. So if it's a restroom, it's orange. If it's anything else, it's green or blue, depending on what was available. But we try and stay with just green and orange wherever we can. And so then um, we know where that has been. We also implemented our own um, on-site um, laundry. Um, so um, we can really make sure that we are addressing the cleanliness of those rags. It's a one-time, one-use kind of thing, put in the laundry bag and it's picked up and taken to the off-site laundry. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to organize your protocols and to maximize that uh, change management. And it's good for communication for throughout the school administration, staff, students and families, because how else are you supposed to keep track of that? I mean, you're cleaning all the time especially in schools, especially with COVID happening. So, and, you know, there've been quite a few changes implemented into school communities everywhere as a result of what's been going on the last couple of years. So in terms of retention, you know, what changes do you anticipate will actually remain even after the pandemic kind of becomes more of an endemic? Uh, Andrew and then Renee? You know, I think we've learned a lot. And I think a lot of what we're doing now will, will remain in place. Um, you know, we, we similarly have, uh, similarly have uh, uh, laundry on site, so we're able to have the same kind of color-coded system. And this was all really set up prior to the pandemic um, and really just kind of educating every new employee that comes on um, what the process is, what the different colors are. Um, we have, you know, for example, blue is our classroom rags just to like generally write down tables, things like that that teachers use. You know, we have orange for like bathrooms only. We have green for our kitchen. So there's just different systems throughout that we really have implemented. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate to have laundry on site, like I said. So we're able to really just do loads every day, um, keep everything separate and keep everything, you know, in the area that it's meant for and, uh, and redo that. But I think, you know, with everything we're seeing, um, I think in our school specifically, a reduction in overall illness is not just with COVID. You know, we're looking at all the other things that you would um, uh, see in a given year. I think we're seeing some decreased things. Now, you could give some of that to maybe a lot of the kids have been in masks um, during this pandemic uh, up to recently and different things like that. But I think I think it is it is showing you that you know, touch points to um, extensive hand washing to a lot of things that we've implemented are are, are, are working. Uh, it's not going to be perfect, but it's really, I think, reducing um, just the amount and maybe the overall spread that you could see in a school like, uh, like ours. Well, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many other illnesses, especially with children, you know, in school, you know, someone's always coming down with a cold or sniffly nose. So, you know, these practices are really good to keep you know, in practice. And um, I wanted to ask you if there were any new protocols that you had for dealing with illnesses just in general with the kids and, you know, in lieu of COVID and is there more frequent training? What kind of changes have there been with that, with the staff? You know, I think, you know, I think the look has been really just more about uh, when a symptom of co occurs, you know, really looking at that, um, you know, everybody, uh, you know, with COVID, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that a cough, a sneeze, a runny nose, a watery eye, a lot of that, um, those basic symptoms share uh, are the same as COVID. So I think a lot of that has been 
just a precautionary of either um, looking into those symptoms further and making sure that um, um, they're not around other children at the time just to 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 weed everything out, I guess, in that sense. But um, yeah, it's it's absolutely um, every day we learn more and more about it and, you know, what we can do to, uh, you know, to keep maintaining a healthy environment. Wonderful. Well, Renee, you know, and I'll repeat the question for you as well. Which changes do you anticipate will remain even after the pandemic becomes more of an endemic? Yeah, I, I think we've changed for the good forever. Um, I think our focus has put back on um, what is important. Um, and I don't see us really going back except for some protocols that the schools took on. Um, for instance, they had kids eat in the classroom, which really upped, you know, <laughs> the need for cleaning. And they're starting to go back um, into the cafeterias. Um, so other than those behaviors that were changed, I really think that we have changed forever um, because we don't know what the next big thing is. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, do you have anything to comment as far as masking goes? Because, you know, kids, especially when, you know, they're smaller, it's a difficult thing to tell, you know, a young kid to keep their mask on at all times. And just kind of how what you've seen pre post COVID, the impacts of wearing masks with pre K students and up. Well, I can speak, you know, from a just observation um, point, because I'm not in a building all the time mm -hmm. where the children are, but just observing. Most children are still wearing, I would say most are still wearing masks. We're at a mask optional point now, but in our lower, lower level um, elementary schools, we still see quite a few students wearing masks. Um, and so I think kids are, you know, their bones are like jelly and they're very <laughs> uh, resilient and they, um, probably just mom said, put on the mask. They put on the mask and teacher reinforced that. So um, I, we did not see a whole lot of pushback in our district about that. Hmm. And Lurley, would you like to tag on here? I know speaking with some of our clients in various industries, um, the pandemic has had a financial impact on their budgets. And so they've really had to reevaluate the products and, and what's essential versus what they may want. Um, Renee and Andrew, I don't know if, if, that is playing out in the education arena as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the world has received a crash course in infection prevention over the past several years. I know that for everybody. So with that heightened focus on infection prevention, how did you personally convey your infection prevention protocols to school staff? Let's start with Renee. Well, we're very lucky. We're kind of a large district. We have over 60 buildings and 5 million square feet. So um, we're fortunate enough to have a director of health and safety um, who's a nurse um, that sits on the um, board of health here in Fort Wayne. So um, she would put out um, communications as to how we were to um, change or, or look at, and she was very um, informative for us. Plus, you know, we would read the CDC guidelines and we would just follow um, all the recommended protocols. And so we did have to look at all of our products and processes and make sure that we were focusing in again on those touch points. Absolutely. And Andrew? Yeah, I mean, we, we very much were uh, following the guidance of our uh, local health department very much uh, throughout of all this. Um, you know, they would mandate, you know, where 
you know, children stay in their own classroom and don't mingle with other, you know, classroom children, things like that, just as a way to keep all group sizes much smaller um, and how many kids, you know, might uh, interact with another child, you know, throughout the day. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we just kind of took guidance from uh, to implement. And, you know, with, with kind of how we, you know, pass that along to our staff was really just, um, you know, through some training and just education. Um, we're, we're pretty much a small business of, you know, about 44 employees. So, you know, we, we have a couple of in-services a year where we can sit down and, and, and spend all day working with our teachers on protocols, what we're going to change in any of these. And, you know, a lot of times when like a new staff member comes on board, they're not going to just be um, thrown into the weeds. I mean, they're essentially going to be probably shadow a veteran staff member or teacher for a couple of days to just learn the ropes, learn these protocols, learn what we do. And, um, you know, from there, it's just really, we, we have someone really who's dedicated in our school to laundry and they will pass out like blue rags every morning where they'll give like 10 to every classroom and that's their rags for the day and they can use them as they need it. They put them in a bucket and then at the end of the day they're kind of collected and, and, and launders for the next day so it is something that you know um it all kind of just has worked out to what is uh the best process and and how and how we use that but you know it's been it's been it's been working for us you know what i bet it's working for parents mm -hmm. too because i bet they love that their kids are instilling these habits yeah. <laughs> but at home they probably get only blue right, rags right. now because their yeah. kids are <laughs> <laughs> practice at home washing too. their hands you know 10 times a day but <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good habit well absolutely well you know speaking about families and students so what were their primary concerns what did you find that they were most concerned about how did you communicate with your infection prevention protocols with them specifically um i think we just really outlined um what our whole protocols were um from keeping teachers and students um, you know, isolated in the same classroom um, was a step. We actually went a, a step further and didn't allow any parents or visitors inside the classroom. So parents would actually uh, come to the threshold of the classroom door, essentially, to pick up or drop off their children. So there's a lot of things that we put just to minimize what is coming into a, a given classroom. Um, and that's just all in looking at you know, when we were back in the pandemic where there were specifics, uh, close contact uh, for COVID um, protocols, um, you know, there were quarantines involved. So if there was a close contact, the, the safest approach they took uh, in terms of the health department and so forth was to quarantine, you know, those close contacts for a given period of time. So we're just really trying to minimize any impact those would uh, those close contacts would, would have and just reduce the number of people that a close contact would come in, in contact with. So it, it's just something that we, you know, really worked for and then took the guidance of our local health department um, on what were the best practices would be in that case. Absolutely. And, and Renee, how did you communicate with your uh, families and parents about prevention protocols? Well, the district has um, a system that they have in place on their intranet. Um, so that's how they <clears throat> spoke to them. But um, I will say for us as a team of 200 some, um, the um, pandemic um, taught us to use um, resources like this, such as Teams, and set up um, training meetings and everything online. So it, it it pushed us to learn a lot of things that were on our radar. We wanted to get to a place where we could have uh, remote meetings, but, you know, we just never had the time or um, 
didn't focus on that. So that helped us. Um, with um, We have a website too that parents could, if they had a concern, uh, reach out and speak to us directly. So um, it's just technology is a good thing, um, even though sometimes it doesn't work, but um, I think it has provided us all great outlets to, for communication. It certainly sounds like it. That's a wonderful resource that you had for the parents to be able to reach out through technology that way. And, you know, Andrew, what are the infection prevention priorities at the Goddard School specifically? Can you talk us through your cleaning programs that address these priorities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's cleaning going on in all types. I think that, um, you know, you have cleaning going on while children are in the classroom. And that's a pretty regulated um, process where uh, the state uh, requires that, you know, uh, children wash their hands, for example, before and after every activity or snack or meal. Um, when they come out from outside play, they have to wash their hands. So there's a lot of different steps that we put in place, um, along with kind of surface cleaning. I mean, there's um, if 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 there's an activity done on the table or if they're having a snack on a table, that table needs to be wiped down. And in our state, especially, it's it's a bleach and water solution that is sprayed, and we'll use the Perfect Clean um, fiber cloths to then just wipe those down and uh, continue to do that throughout the whole day. So there is really, what I think, two phases of cleaning. There's, you know, when school is in session and in normal hours, um, while children are present, there is cleaning. And then, you know, every night we have our uh, janitorial um, crew that comes in and then um, they're doing all the nightly janitorial, so trash removal, but they're, again, cleaning all the floors. Um, they also use all the perfect clean um, rags, mops, and, 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 and those products. So, you know, they're, they're really, you know, getting that school tip top for the next day. And it happens every single day. That's, that's just the process of that. Um, so it's been a, a work in progress for us. And this is well in place before the pandemic. And um, just, you know, with, with, with us, you know, you look at what is the um, alternative would really be disposables. And, you know, we would just generate uh, just so much trash every single day and the money that's just getting thrown out the window with disposables. Uh, we thought it was a no brainer. We do also have laundry on site. So it really is a uh, an easy thing for us to, to, to launder, get all the uh, materials ready for the next day. So, um, yeah, so that's really what we do every day. That's great. And, you know, you spoke a little bit about it. You know, it hasn't mm -hmm. changed that much because you, you used to clean so yep. much already in a school environment. Um, but, you know, when it comes to toys yep. and books and things like that with kids yep. touching all these things, has that changed? You know, we do a lot more um, isolated cleaning. We actually have staff members that are de dedicated to our school center where um, let's say it's a uh, set of like building blocks or like Legos that a child is playing with for an activity. They'll actually put that um, kind of crate of toy uh, outside the door and they'll pick it up and they'll actually um, wipe it down or they'll sanitize it in a way they can that's appropriate for that toy. So um, we've been doing a lot of extra cleaning in that sense. Um, and, uh, you know, something that might have been done only once a week or maybe a couple times a month prior is being done um, almost after every use sometimes. So those are the levels that we've gotten to in this pandemic, I think. So, Renee, you're dealing with an entire school district. How many facilities are you responsible and have you standardized cleaning and disinfection throughout all the facilities? And how did you do that? We have. We have um, 60 about 60 buildings, 50 actual schools, 
um, five high schools, 11 or so middle schools, um, and then 30 some elementary schools. So we have, um, we had been working on that um, standardization process. Um, however, um, the labor market is greatly influencing our ability to um, uh, make sure and follow through <laughs> and maintain that. Um, so that's our focus right now. But yes, we have standards in place. Um, we have a training program. We have um, videos and we have all kinds of way to make sure people are trained. Um, we have a management team that follows through. Um, and yes, we were able to do that. We looked at all products for dwell times and all of that to make sure um, everything was the best we could possibly present um, to our district. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of increased focus on certain protocols like hand washing and just preventative measures yes. for students to like to go yeah, with that. Behaviors were, you know, um, we did change from trigger handle um, pumps uh, to pump sprayers um, and it just worked better for us. We, we did not consider electrostatic spraying because um, the cost in those, uh, in all of that, we weren't sure um, that would be um, necessary. Um, so we looked at absolutely everything, but when it comes down to what best you can address during a pandemic or anything is behaviors. So training and teaching the hand washing, wearing your mask, it was behavior, um, I think was really the biggest part of our solutions. I'm sure with all the cleaning protocols that go on day to day, all day long. There's a lot of management when it comes to cleaning supplies. So my question for you is how do you manage exposure to cleaning chemicals for staff and students alike? Because these chemicals are everywhere. So how do you manage that? So we try to keep them at a minimum. Um, and that's one of the changes we made. We went to a peroxide based um, disinfectant. And so we were able to use that on all surfaces. So of course you have your SDS sheets um, for people to refer to. You don't want something extremely caustic. And so we just make sure that we try and keep our chemicals or um, any products at a minimum. It's just better um, financially and it's better um, for you to control any adverse um, exposures you could have to anything. Hmm. And Lurley, do you have anything to add to that? Definitely agree with Renee and, and that you should really keep it simple when looking at products. Um, not only is it safer, but it helps in the retention and implementation of those products for your program. Um, you know, trying to find an all-in-one disinfectant um, that is a safer alternative, but also achieves the cleanliness um, standard that you need is important. Um, and then, as always, um, you know, that bundled approach of not only using evidence-based products, but training and continuing education so that they really, you know, your staff feels empowered and knowledgeable about what they're using and, and confident and, and how to, you know, move forward. Absolutely, because, you know, school isn't the only place that you're going to be seeing these chemicals or material cleaning supplies. I mean, they're out in other places as well, like restaurants and your house. So, I mean, I think that's great that you're implementing these practices to be educated so you know, you know, which things are safe or how to handle cleaning. 
So that's wonderful. Thank you. Andrew, um, is there any focus on disinfection technology as far as electrostatics go or similar uh, disinfection technologies like this? Yeah, we've actually tried a lot of uh, different products. Um, I kind of agree with Renee about the sprayers because it's really uh, the labor that's ne that's needed for that, and especially with us, that's a, it's at a late at night, off hour time that needs to be done. So um, we actually opted, we have a machine that is essentially a um, hands-off like disinfecting fro fogger. So it's essentially where you can put a machine in a room, hit the button, and it will basically uh, it's a hydro uh, hydrogen peroxide based solution that basically is safe and it essentially will um, disinfect the entire room within like 10 minutes. So um, we'll use this when there is, let's say, um, uh, a reported illness, let's say in a classroom and different things. So we'll kind of use that as a reactionary measure to really just kind of um, hopefully stop it from there. <laughs> um, might be so. Um, we've tried those. We've um, also, I think our biggest investment through this pandemic is we did purchase like um, uh, HEPA air filter, uh, filtration machines for each one of our classrooms. Um, so that's what I was saying was where we're not only looking at the surface of everything that, that children are touching, it's also um, the air. And these machines turn over really the air uh, in each classroom like four times every every 15 minutes or something. So it really hopefully is uh, doing that that part from what is going on in the uh, uh, the air particle. So I think, you know, again, it's just really trying to hit it from all sides. And I think it's just really trying to um, reduce um, a, like a bundled approach to minimize the risk as best we can. Absolutely. And Lurley, do you have anything to add there? I would just, you know, take it back to, uh, you know, when considering new technologies, making sure that they're evidence-based. So do your research, um, you know, test it out, of course, but you make sure you're making, you know, the best decision following your best practices. Absolutely. Now, has your EVS or cleaning department been impacted by the ongoing cross-industry labor shortage? And if so, how so? And what are you doing to attract and retain talent? Andrew? Well, I think everyone is uh, feeling the effects of the uh, challenges it is to hire right now. So, uh, we're just really um, just continuing to um, hire as much as possible, um, get out there, interview, and uh, attract candidates the best we can. But uh, it's not easy. I think it's it's felt in all industries right now, and I think it's uh, um, hopefully um, will uh, you know improve here in the short term. But uh, you know, for us, I think um, you know we we provide a great environment to to work in, and we just try to put that point across. Um, uh, when we when we do talk to candidates, so absolutely. And Renee, yeah, it is greatly impacting us and continues to make it difficult um, to do those things that you know you you need to do. So um, we look at everything, especially you know the job may not be as desirable as it might have been. So um, attitudes towards work are changing. So how do we make this job as attractive and as simple and as foolproof as possible? So um, we have developed really um, dynamic um, training programs. Um, we try and engage our people um, as much as possible, offer hiring bonuses. We've done direct mail. We've um, put billboards in bus stops. We, we've, we've left no stone unturned. Um, last summer, we started pop-up 
um, job fairs. So we just go to the local park and with a tent and um, nurses <laughs> on tow to um, drug screen. So we, we just have tried absolutely everything possible. Um, but it is going to take um, a culture change and um, we're going to look at um, how important our environmental people are. I think that became obvious um, during the pandemic that um, these frontline workers that go to work every day are really a vital part of our communities. And so we have to make sure um, that we are um, engaging them and offering the resources they need to take care of their families. So that's kind of what we're looking at now. Um, and so we want to just continually um, step back and look at everything with a different paradigm um, and make sure that you cut the fat and put your resources um, where it needs to go to get the uh, results that you need. And literally, what are you doing to attract and retain talent? Sure, I would say um, recognition is so important, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Um, some successful programs that we've seen include, uh, you know, simple rewards programs um, that make it fun while also celebrating their, their diligence. Um, one thing that we've done for both hospitality and healthcare is offer a national uh, reward to recognize outstanding attendance and hygiene specialists. Um, and it sounds like, you know, this could be helpful in education as well. So that's, that's an action item from today's podcast that I'll take back to my and, and see what we can do. Absolutely. All great ideas. I loved them all. And uh, Renee, how can your suppliers support your initiatives? What ideas can you share that may be helpful to your supplier network? I think they just need, just like we need to, to focus on quality, um, listen to your um, clients, um, find out what they need, um, and, um, you know, keep costs. Um, costs are skyrocketing everywhere, so whatever we can do to <laughs> reduce, reuse, recycle wherever we can. Um, it, it really is important to the clients. Absolutely. And Andrew? Oh, I would uh, agree with that um, very much so. Um, and just in terms of how we can uh, move forward um, using new products, um, new technology uh, to get us at the, that, that same end result. Um, so I agree very much with that. Yeah, that's great uh, for schools and ever reduce, reuse, <laughs> recycle. Literally, do you have anything to sure, add on from that? a supplier standpoint? Um, we're really engaging with clients, especially those we have a very relationship with um, that we really view more as a, a partnership. We help identify new products based on their specific challenges um, that they're facing today, um, and these partnerships allow us to, you know, build and offer customizable programs that not only meet but exceed their needs. Um, and we, we try to be as flexible as possible because we understand that everybody is having a tough time right now. Um, we get it. And, you know, we just want our, our clients and prospective clients to know that we're here to support them. Absolutely. And that's wonderful to meet and exceed their needs and just having that thought, that personal relationship between them. That's wonderful. Well, Renee, Andrew, and Lurley, do you have any last thoughts or is there anything else you'd like to share? Any last points you'd like to drive home to the audience? 
you definitely need to educate yourself on any of these methods. Um, there's a lot of new products and new uh, technologies that uh, that come out. And I think it's just, you know, understanding um, where your pain points are, um, how these can help you, and, and, and really just look at that multi-layered approach to tackling the challenges we see with infections and disinfecting and so forth. I just underline that to make sure you're educated, things change, so be flexible. Um, always be looking at things from different angles. Um, look at your processes and reevaluate them as much as you can. And um, it takes good partnerships uh, like we've had with UMF and many of our, our vendors and like we want to be for our school district. We have to um, work together and, and create um, valuable partnerships um, that work for our communities. Absolutely. Thank you. And Lurley? Sure. Um, I think, you know, in this, the chaos of the, the pandemic, um, you know, going with that easiest or quickest solution um, isn't always the best. So like uh, both Andrew and, and Renee said, do your research, do your due diligence, um, but kind of taking it back to healthcare, um, because there are some parallels here you know, a successful infection prevention program is a bundled approach. So they, you know, really focus on education, training, using evidence-based products. Um, there was a published study in the, in the public, oh my gosh, a study published in the Journal of Infection Control um, by Teresa Daniels and team from the Clark Regional Medical Center that actually looked at the reduction of their infection rates um, regarding uh, a, a microbe because of those efforts and elevating their environmental services team and really making them um, more of a focus. Um, and because they are an integral part of every operation. So it's really just making sure we elevate, um, you know, the cleaning services, the cleaning staff, because they have such an important job and we depend on them day in and day out. Day in, day out. Absolutely. Well, a big thank you to Renee, Andrew, and Lurley for joining us here today. To hear more episodes from Perfect Clean, look for this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever it is you get your podcasts at. Thanks again for joining thank us.